I'm excited to uh, continue our teaching series we called Maxed Out, Finding Financial Freedom When You've Hit Your Max. Uh, we're using finances as a platform, though, to talk about a much bigger issue. When you feel stressed, maxed out, overwhelmed. And so, many, uh, so often that happens to us in the area of our finances. And I shared the first week about my qualms with churches talking about this in the first place. I often felt like uh, churches and organized Christianity had hidden motives behind that. And then I began to study the Bible and realized Jesus actually talked a lot about this. In fact, he talked about it five times more than he talked about faith and prayer. And so he knew this would be an area that spiritually would own many of us in our lives. And the enemy, Satan, would love to use to be destructive to us. And I find it interesting that in many of the areas of our lives, if we have a struggle, a sin issue where we miss the mark, where we're not following really what God wants for our lives in the area of like, let's say sex or in the area of our dating life or in the area of how we, uh, the words that come out of our mouth or how we treat our family, a lot of those things are very public. And this is one of those issues that often is very private, isn't it? And yet Jesus talked a lot about it. And I realized because at the heart of it, for me at least, I can't speak for you, that it often determines a lot of the major life decisions I make in my life. I don't know if you feel that way about the area of your finances. And that often when I get overwhelmed and stressed out, it, because it feels like we're not accomplishing what we really would like to accomplish. And what I want to talk about today is not to get you to give money to something and not to get you to all of a sudden um, go out and convict everybody of the way they handle their finances. What I'd like to do today is to look at the difference between being self-sacrificing and self-centered. And it's really easy to talk about that issue for the parents in the room when we're talking about our kids, isn't it? I don't know what it is. You don't have to teach a kid to be self-centered. It just comes naturally to them. I went down just this week and I offered to my oldest son and my daughter, I said, hey, I got two pieces of candy. You select which piece you would like to take. I'll let uh, one of them go first. You know which piece the older brother was going to take. Whichever piece the younger sister wanted first, right? It's just something about kids, we just know that always have, and yet in our adult life, we think we've kind of grown beyond that. And I can't speak for you, I can only speak for myself. Sometimes I see myself acting like a little child in this area of my life, and that's at the heart of what I'd like to talk about, what it looks like in your time, talents, and treasures to be a self-sacrificing follower of Jesus, knowing that. Here's the brutal, honest point tonight, knowing that. All of us only have so much time on this planet. We all only have so much time on this planet. And we've all been entrusted with so much time, so much talent and abilities, and so much financial treasure. And it's what we do with the short time that we've got that really matters. Look at Matthew 25, verse 14. And as you're getting there one more time, we put your hands together and welcome those who are joining us live online right now. Glad you guys are with us. Hope you connect with God. If, if you're new to the, the Gospel of Matthew, it's written by Matthew, who was a tax collector. And we know that this is an area that Jesus is going to address very clearly in Matthew chapter 25 and what we do with the resources we've been entrusted with. In fact, 
It's interesting, the timing of this passage. Jesus has gone, and they've had the Palm Sunday triumphal entry of Jesus. He's riding a donkey man, people fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He's coming in there waiting to crown him king, and yet he's coming to be a different type of king. And throughout the week leading up to the crucifixion that we celebrate in the springtime on Good Friday, when he's killed on the cross, a sacrifice for our sin and wrongdoing, leading up to the third day on the Sunday when he's going to raise from the grave that we celebrate at Easter time in the spring. All that, he's right in the middle of all of that. And he pauses to teach them on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And here's one of the stories he shares in Matthew 25, verse 14. You guys ready to study God's word, church? Here Here we go. It says this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who, with two bags of gold, gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. What's interesting here, this isn't just talking about finances. It's an analogy to refer to what you've been entrusted with in this lifetime. That you and I are called to be good stewards of what we've been entrusted with. If you're not familiar with the term steward, anybody ever seen the Lord of the Rings movie? There, I'm a nerd out for a second. There is the, the steward of Gondor. He was not the king. He was the one holding the place for the king's return, which happens in the third of the books of Lord of the Rings. But what we are called to do is to steward what God has entrusted us with in our time, talents, and treasures until the return of Jesus, the true king. That all of it is a gift. And it's not just talking about our money. It's talking about everything we've been entrusted with. Now, I find it interesting, man. Jesus, like, mentions three different types of people here, not too different than we are today. That there are some that he gave five bags, that wealthy, that had a large platform. They had a lot of influence and abilities. They were the ones born with particular abilities and born into a family that gave them certain things. And their responsibility was greater. And there was kind of the middle of the road that got the two bags. And then there was the poor that got one bag. By the way, in case you're wondering what kind of family Jesus came from, he came from a very poor family. We know that because in the Gospel of Luke, he goes to the temple at age 12 and he makes a sacrifice. All the Jewish people would make a sacrifice as an act of worship and he sacrificed two doves. And he sacrificed doves because the poor people gave doves, the middle class gave lambs or goats, and the wealthy gave bulls. King Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, gave 700 bulls as a sacrifice. He was extremely wealthy. Jesus came from a poor family. He understood what it was like to make the most of what he had been given. And it's interesting in this passage that it's actually not the one who was given five bags in this passage that really struggled with this. The next 10 verses or so go on to describe that the the, the person who was given five bags, they bring back five more. And the person who was given two bags of gold, they come back with two more. But the one who had one bag, he tells him, "I I know that you are a hard master. And so I took the one bag and I hid it in the ground so that it wouldn't be taken from me. And here I am to return it to you. He takes his bag and gives it to someone else. And he sets the precedent that what I'm after is not for you to be afraid of me, but rather for you to steward what I've entrusted you with well 
so that I can give you more responsibility. It doesn't mean that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and that if you pray and you sacrifice for God, all of a sudden you're going to have a large bank account. You're going to be riding around on the private jet. Uh, that, unfortunately, is what many people misinterpret in Scripture and t- say on television at times today. But the reality is, God does want you to steward what you've been given well. And when you do it, he wants to entrust you with more responsibility. That's at the heart of what I'd like to share with you, of what it looks like to become someone who genuinely is going to steward what you've been entrusted with well, that you are self-sacrificing and not just self-centered. Will you pray with me? God, as we talk about this, um, I know this goes way beyond our, our bank account. Like this goes to the heart of us spiritually, of why we exist, why we're on this planet, what we do with the time we've been given, what we do with the resources we've been given. And as we talk about finances and how to study scripture and to really honor you in this area of our life, to be wise with the finances that we have been given, God, I pray that you speak to us about the bigger issues in our life, about how to be a self-sacrificing person. We love you and we surrender this to you. We thank you for these words in the scripture. We acknowledge your Holy Spirit with us right now. May you speak to us. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. Okay, let's just be honest here. Okay, a moment of honesty. Uh, show of hands. Who, who is a saver in the room? You are a saver. You love to save things. Okay, maybe like 10% there. How many of you, let's be honest, come on, no, no shame here. How many of you are a spender, baby? Who likes to spend? Come on. Who doesn't like to spend? I, I, uh, I don't know what it is in my life growing up. Uh, I, money was never something that was really um, important to me. Uh, and I often gave things away and I often, often spent things. And I was the kid when uh, we were young, we would go on a family vacation and we had uh, not the minivan, we had like the full size van, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, it looked kind of like this, at least this is what I pictured it looked like in my head. That's actually the A-team van, I wish B.A. Baracus was driving us around, man, because we were rode in style, but uh, we rode in a van similar to that. It was the 80s, man, that's what it was like. And we'd go on family vacation and we'd stop at the gas station and we'd be able to buy a piece of candy. We'd take it back into the, the van and as we'd travel down the road the next several hours, I would literally eat the candy within minutes, within minutes. My sister, who is one of the cheaper people I have ever met, uh, she was my younger sister with two older brothers and she would take that candy and she would keep it for the rest of the trip, just to torment us all the way to Florida, that we couldn't have it. And we would start upping the price, right? I'll give you my next three pieces of candy. You give me your one piece of candy, right? And she was extorting her older brothers. We know that savers really gain a lot of the ability to dictate what is done with their finances. In fact, I don't know if you realize what the Bible actually says on this issue. The Bible gives us a lot of good biblical principles to follow in the area of our finances, and it's not just about giving to a local church. A lot of it has to do with stewarding what you've been entrusted with well, being smart with the money that you have been able to earn because of the abilities and the time God has given you. Proverbs 21.20 says this, the wise, the wise, anybody wise in here? The wise store up choice food and olive oil but fools gulp theirs down. 
Now, back in that day, that's the way uh, a lot of your wealth was acquired in livestock and in the food uh, that you stored up. A wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fool gulps theirs down. I gulp down that candy, man. Many of us, when it comes to our finances, the second the paycheck hits the bank account, it's like you start freaking out, don't you? You're like, I got to go find something. Like, I got to go can get on Amazon. Maybe there's something on sale. Well, there's a hot deal. I got to get that hot deal. It's going to go quick, honey. Right? Do you do this? The wise store up food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. I love this one. Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Ants can carry, what, like a thousand times their body weight. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores up its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. That even an insect knows to store up for the right time. So when Pastor Dana last week, didn't she do a great job last week when she shared, hey, by the way, I got some exciting news about that. Four people came to Christ last week, which is awesome. Um, it's rendered their life to Christ was in, a, in a series on finances. Like, right, who would think that? But um, that's how it works sometimes. And she shared about, you know, saving up your emergency fund and starting there with that $1,000 emergency fund and beginning a debt snowball effect of paying things down and off and eventually getting to the point where you can save up three to six months worth of your expenses to store up that the ant even knows to store up its provisions in summer waiting uh, to gather food at the harvest. Yet, as we shared uh, a little while ago, over 70% of uh, people in American culture live, live paycheck to paycheck. Now, I'm sure some of it, my wife and I sometimes do that intentionally. <laughs> we like to take uh, funds and hide it from ourselves. You ever do that? Um, invest it in things or be, uh, give it away and see what God can do with it. This isn't a series on how to become wealthy so that you can be a selfish person. But most of us live paycheck to paycheck in our culture today that we're not stewarding things well. And so I ask you the big question, are you a good steward? A good steward. Are, are your resources holding the place for the king's return? that you're being smart with your time, talents, and treasures, and your finances, like the ant, even the insect, knows to do that. I want to give you a, a number of points here that we're going to take away. I'm going to give you a couple of points, and then my points are going to have points, and then those points are going to have points. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you can keep track. The first thing is this, that I want to make known from this passage is that God is generous when he settles accounts. If you look at verses 19 to 23, in Matthew 25, uh, look there with me. He's going to be generous with each of these people. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. As I said, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done and good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I don't know why you and I often think that somehow God is against us in this area of our lives. He asked us to share in his master's happiness. In fact, it says that he is a, a generous God when he settles accounts. It's going to be the final one, the one with the one bag that isn't going to believe that he is a generous God. He's going to be fearful and hide from him. We often feel we should be good stewards of our resources, but we feel like we should do that out of guilt and obligation. 
I can't tell you how many people I know that you may work in a a business world, an executive level thing, and you live with this guilt and obligation in the area of your finances rather than living with the, in your master's happiness, knowing that he is a generous God. That's what uh, this says to do here. You know that you should steward your resources well because there's starving kids in Africa that need to be fed. And, and even Americans, we don't, if we just didn't all have to have iPhones and spend our money on PlayStations and flat screen TVs, maybe people wouldn't starve, right? Like we, we know these things and so we guilt ourselves and begin to think of it as an obligation rather than I get to do those things because I serve a generous God who has entrusted me to make an impact with the short time I have on this planet. God is a generous God when he settles accounts. The motivation in this passage is not guilt. It's not guilt, but a generous master, a generous master. Number two, a takeaway here in verses 24 and 25, be thankful for your resources, not justifying mine and yours and I's misuse of those. Look with me in verses 24 and 25. It says this, then the man who had received one bag of gold came, master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. He was afraid of what might happen. We feel that guilt and obligation. I'm afraid of what God's going to do. So I'm going to try and just at least protect this thing, but I'm not actually going to believe that he is a generous God. Did not begin with the amount they were lucky enough to be given, but instead moved straight to justifying why they didn't do anything with it. And if when we talk about this issue, like most of us as Americans, our first response is to think of, I got to justify in my head why I don't do things a certain way. It's not God that wants you to live like that. This, this, uh, particular uh, person in this story, in this analogy, he's uh, playing the comparison game a little bit. Like, what if I don't do enough with this? I'm at least going to protect what I've got so he's not mad at me when he returns. Uh, instead, we need to ask ourselves this question. Don't we begin, you and I, to make excuses and justify our actions sometimes in this area of our lives? That's not any finger pointing. That's just reality. That's just reality. And that's exactly what this individual is going through. Rather than being thankful that he gave him that in the first place and say, okay, God, use me, use it, so that you can use me to do even more. You know, I look at the Old Testament, I see these guys that have said this before, like Moses, you know, parts the Red Sea. That's a pretty big deal. They write about it and everybody talks about it, right? Joshua gets to see the sun stand still. You read Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, all these crazy stories of faith where they see God show up in powerful ways. You ever read that and go, man, I want to have a life like that. I want to see that happen. And I've shared with our church before, Joshua didn't day one see the sun stand still. Moses didn't part the Red Sea at the very first time he followed the Lord. It often takes these incremental moments of trusting God enough in small areas that we begin to trust him in bigger and bigger and bigger areas. I believe that's true, to be thankful for what God's entrusted us with and to not just look to uh, justify our misuse of them. So if you're sitting there and say, okay, I believe God's generous. I get that. Okay, fine. And I want to be a good steward, and I don't want to do it out of guilt and obligation. I don't want to misuse what I've been entrusted with. How do I actually be a good steward? Because I keep failing at it. Anybody feel that way? Like, I keep messing this up, and I fall back into old habits. Here we go. 
If you want to be a good steward, I'm going to give you some ways to do it. And the first one is this. I believe this is rooted in scripture. Number one, uh, if you want to be a good steward, you will save. You will save for emergencies. Maybe the plumbing goes out at the house. Maybe your car breaks down on the way here. Maybe uh, your, your toddler eats your wedding ring. I don't know what happens, right? Like, but you're going to begin to plan a little bit for it. And you're going to pray ahead, and you're going to save up that emergency fund. You're going to also save up for purchases. I get, you don't have to lead, live with this like Christian guilt all the time. God doesn't look at uh, poor people or uh, middle-class people or wealthy people and think because they're in one of those particular socioeconomic statuses that one of them is a greater sinner than the other. It's what we do with God, that God has entrusted us with that matters. We're going to make purchases. You're going to need to buy a couch. Christmas is coming up. I get it. You're going to have to eventually uh, get a car to get to work. Like There are reasons to make purchases. Save for it. Be smart. Steward it well. And then save for your future. You want to go to college or get married or retirement or the take care of your, your kids as they uh, grow up and provide for them and be able to provide a way for them to go to college or grad school. I get that. Save for it. Be smart about it. Pray about it. Allow God into that area. He doesn't want to destroy that area. He wants to help it. Allow him into it. Pray about it. If you want to be a good steward, you'll save for those things. If you want to be a good steward, you will invest your time in eternity. I won't spend a lot of time with this, but it might be the most important thing we share all weekend. That if you're going to steward what you've been trusted with well, invest your time in eternity. And the things that you are going to care about when you die. I find myself constantly being a poor steward of my time, talents, and treasures because I've invested in areas that I'm not going to care about 100 years from now. You do that? And man, begin to pray about, I'm going to save and be a good steward, and then I'm going to invest what I've been entrusted with and my time into eternity. Number three, that you will prioritize your dollars. Prioritize the dollars that you have been entrusted with. And the priorities look like this. And look, I'm going to share this, and I'm going to teach on some of this next week. I want you to know um, we've already passed an offering basket that's already occurred, but I believe what the Bible teaches us is pretty simple on this stuff, that we trust God with the first 10% of our resources. That's what a tithe is. Tithe doesn't mean to give. It means 10%. That that first 10% of our resources we trust him with. And that didn't just come about like in the last 100 years. When they, they used to have this festival called the First Fruits Festival, where when you had that first harvest, you would bring it to the Lord and as act of sacrifice and worship him. You would surrender that over to him, trusting that he's going to provide in the next harvest to feed you and your family. How crazy is that? The same idea is the tithe principle. Number two, uh, you're going to prioritize your dollars for expenses. So uh, you're going to prioritize the first 10% to God. He's going to do more with 90% than you'll ever do with 100%. And then I'm going to uh, get, cover my expenses. Number three, that you're going to watch, uh, you're going to um, plan for emergencies, as we sh shared a little bit earlier, and you're going to prioritize your dollars towards that. Then number four, you're going to prioritize towards the debt. Talked a little bit about it last week, the snowball debt uh, payoff, that you pay down the lowest debt that you have. Whatever that is, uh, psychologically, they tell you to start with the lowest debt that you have, not the one with the worst interest because you'll give up. Start with the lowest one that you've got. Dave Ramsey will talk about this. Pay that lowest one off first, and then rather than stopping making payments once it's paid off, just roll that over, snowball it over. Snowball gets bigger and bigger as it goes down the mountain, right? Snowball that over into another area that you're already paying off debt. 
If you've got massive credit card debt, you've got student loans, you've got your mortgage, you've got your car payments, you've got all the debt that you've incurred, it's overwhelming. I've talked to people with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt that they have no idea how they're going to pay it off, and it's getting worse every year. You're going to start taking it seriously and say, I want to steward what God's entrusted me with, and so I'm going to pay that off. I'm going to get rid of it. And then number five, to begin to invest, to begin to say, God, how could you use what I've been entrusted with more, my time, talents, and my treasures, to say, I want to invest wisely in the way um, that I prioritize my dollars. So number four, if you're taking notes here, that uh, you will then, you will make money in two ways. You'll make money in two ways as you invest it. And I want to tell you, I'm not a financial planner. There are a bunch of awesome ones here at the church. I'm, I'm not going to tell you a financial scheme, how to get rich quick, okay? Like, that's not the point. I want to share just some biblical principles of what Scripture says of how to be wise in the way you steward as you invest in your, finance, uh, your finances. You will make money in two ways. And the first one in Scripture is this, that people make money. And this one, in our culture today, it seems a little silly that we'd have to say this, but we do, don't we? That you make money by working for money. And so here's uh, one way that says that in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, certainly, there are people who are uh, physical ailments or have shut-in issues or made poor choices with drug addiction and they have the consequences of their life. We're called as Christians to love those people and not judge them for what they've gone through. We should be there as followers of Jesus. But for those who are physically able and mentally able to work, uh, it's interesting. Scripture actually talks about to uh, prioritize that the one who is unwilling to work shouldn't even eat, it says. So people make money. You'll make money by working for it. But number two, money will make money. Uh, the, the way you're going to make money is by your money actually making money. And that's a, not only an okay thing, that's a biblical thing. Matthew 25, 16, in the passage that we're reading, it said the man who would receive five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. His money actually did the work. And I find that interesting. It's funny that sometimes as Christians, we don't talk about that aspect. It's, it is smart to be uh, wise with your finances. You know, sometimes in our culture, I don't know why, there is this mentality that if somebody makes uh, millions or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, that somehow there is something uh, not Christian about that. That is, couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, it's prioritizing what we do with that. Yes, that absolutely matters, absolutely. And not being greedy people. But the reality is that wealth isn't a sinful or wrong thing. In fact, I'd encourage you, if you are a devout follower of Jesus and you know you're called in the business world, make tons of money. Make as much money as you possibly can. Don't, not at the sake of your family, not at the sake of what God is calling you to, but because you're going to utilize, like that person does in Matthew 25, what God's entrusted you with to make more and then to leverage all of that for God's kingdom. I won't share a name, but there is a, a person in our church that has dedicated their whole life to being a good business person, and they've made millions of dollars doing that. And they are praying about turning their entire business over to plant churches throughout the state of Indiana. Because they go, I don't do this because I want to be wealthy. There's no U-Hauls behind the hearse when I'm dead. I want to say, God, make me super wealthy so I can leverage that for other things. 
That's what I believe uh, being a wise steward is, and there's nothing wrong. You should make as much money as you possibly can uh, so long as it's not sinful or you're doing drugs or something like that, right? That's what um, we are called to do. So who, who out there would like to be a wise investor? Anybody out there you'd like to invest wisely? Really quickly, I'm going to give you some descriptural things here. Number one, the Bible talks about don't invest in things you don't understand. Proverbs 24 I want to get all this up there. Don't invest in things you don't understand. If you're taking notes, in Proverbs 24, verse 3 to 4, it says, By wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasure. The, the house is built with wisdom and through understanding. And so to be wise and to understand what you're investing in is smart. If you invested a million dollars into Lucent technology in the 90s, you're broke, right? Uh, when I first uh, was a young man and got a paycheck, I told you a couple weeks ago, I went and put it all into this company and, that made lithium-ion batteries because it was the way of the future, baby. And that uh, stock is now worth zero dollars. It no longer exists. I knew nothing about lithium-ion batteries. I was just excited about this new technology. Be wise and understanding in the ways that you invest. Understand what you're doing. Number two, the Bible teaches don't put all your eggs in one basket. I know you know that's smart, but Scripture actually talks to that. Ecclesiastes 11.2 says, invest in seven ventures, yes, and eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. It's like the analogy, uh, you know, investing is kind of like manure, you know what I'm talking about? You put it all in one place and it stinks real bad, but you spread it out and things grow. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches here in Ecclesiastes 11:2 to not put all the eggs in one basket, be smart. Whether that's uh, financial people could talk wisely on how to do that, of whether that's stocks or bonds or real estate or gold or hedge fund, I, you know, whatever uh, that you feel is the best place to do that, but spread it out. Number three, the Bible teaches us if you want to invest wisely, don't try to get rich quick. I had this friend in college. Um, his name was Bob. Uh, we called him Crazy Bob. And Crazy Bob always wanted to get rich quick. He was going to the horse tracks, and he was trying to always figure out the next scheme to get rich really quick. And we'd laugh because uh, we were in our 20s, but, like, it wouldn't be funny now for me, right? Uh, so many of us, we look for these ways to get rich quick. Here's what Scripture says, 1 Timothy 6, 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The fastest way to double your money is to fold it up and put it back in your pocket, right? That is the fastest way to double it. And so uh, often to do things wisely, it takes time. Proverbs 13, 11 says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Money plus time, plus consistency, biblically, often lead to growth or wealth. So think of it in that case. The reason, in that way, the reason we don't like that, because it takes time and time again, the slow, steady, self-sacrificing of choosing not to overspend and run up the credit card debt and go on vacations we can't afford and take out a second on the house, time and time again, to be self-sacrificing and trust that God is going to see you through to a place where you no longer struggle with this. I got a question this last week about what about if I am in this perpetual culture of poverty and I just can't seem to break through. 
And the temptation is to try and get rich quick and figure out some scheme to what I would encourage you to do. Know that God cares about you more than any human being. Know that he wants you to grow in your faith. And you may never become a millionaire or a billionaire. But you can, with slow, steady practice of following the Lord in this area, not spend as much as you earned. And slowly, over time, begin to see that debt dwindle away. And it takes you being willing to sacrifice. And, and don't get me wrong, man. If you have fewer resources, sometimes this is, it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of sacrifice to be a wise steward in this area. But time plus money plus consistency equals wealth. If you took $5 a day and invested, it's, uh, I've got it at a 12% rate. It may be less than that. It may be more than that. After five years, that would be over $12,000. After 10 years, that $5 a day would be $34,000. After 20 years, $148,000. After 30 years, over half a million dollars. Over 40 years, $1.7 million. After 50 years, if you did this from age 20 to age 70, $5 a day, now it is at a 12% increase, that could lead to almost $6 million. Isn't that crazy? $5 a day. But it takes that slow, consistent prayer and investment that 30-year-olds who save 15% of $48,000 could end up with $7 million someday. That it takes over and over again prioritizing this area of your life. Final thing I want to share, just close out. We want to give you a whole bunch of resources to be smart in this area of your life. But there's something a lot bigger at stake than just what your bank account reads. See, the third and final major point I wanted to make is to share in your master's happiness that we read about. And so many of us go through our life maxed out, stressed out, overwhelmed, always seeing the negative, never seeing the positive, losing hope and giving up. Can't tell you how many people I see that. And I believe in, in these verses that it teaches us in verse 21 and 23 that we read that we should share in our master's happiness. And I want to look at verse 29 as we close out together. It says this. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. That we want to protect and protect and protect and protect. And this doesn't telling you that if you are, uh, follow God that you're going to be a billionaire, okay? But it is telling us that if we share in our master's happiness, trust that he's generous when he settles his accounts, that he's going to provide for us with consistent time and investment in this area, we're going to see that Jesus actually wants us to utilize the short time we have, not just to grow that bank account, but to allow him to steward our resources to invest in people. Because his ultimate goal, excuse me, that could have been really awesome. Wouldn't that have been awesome? Face plant right there, baby. He wants us to invest what we have in people. To say, God, how can you use the short time I have? Investing in this stuff matters. Invest in people. Invest in our marriage. Invest in God's church. Pray that you're going to be blessed richly in your marriage and in your finances and with your time and with everything so that you can't just hoard it all, but that you could use all of the blessings of life to invest it back into other people. 
That's what he asks of us. Jesus understood stewarding his time, he only got 33 years, his talents and abilities, and even his treasures well. He chose self-sacrifice over self-centeredness, so much to the point that he goes to the cross, giving up his very life for you and I, that we could know him, be redeemed by him. And I don't know about you, but like a child in this area of my life, I can often feel this guilt and obligation and feel like I could never be the type of self-sacrificing Christian that I see others be like, and so I give up hope. You ever give up hope? And I just want to encourage you. Jesus didn't get crucified on the cross in this gruesome way. Raised from the grave on the third day so that you and I could walk through life hopeless and feel like we could never be a good enough Christian. He did that so you could be redeemed You could share in in eternal salvation in heaven that you could know you're not alone, that your, your master, God, walks with you. His Holy Spirit is given to you as a Christian so that you're never alone. And when you get overwhelmed in this area, you can invite him in and you can begin not just in the big ways, but in the small ways to prioritize the time, talents, and treasures you've been given because he wants to grow your faith and grow you into the person he created you to be that you might make an impact that lasts all eternity.